Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, please open up to the book of Romans, chapter 5. We're going to be continuing our series in Romans, chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Romans 5, 12 through 14. Uh, as you're turning there, just a quick note. The second half of Romans, chapter 5, uh, if you've ever read it, it can, it can be a little dense. It can be a little complex. Uh, we see Paul is really uh, plumbing the depths of the good news of Jesus, uh, and he's really calling on some deep theological truths. So we've broken this up into some smaller sections. We'll be in the second half of this chapter for the next few weeks uh, because we need to hear this. We don't want to miss uh, the beauty of the gospel that Paul is communicating here. So hear now the word of the Lord from Romans 5, 12 through 14. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where, the law, where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. This is the word of the Lord. God. I'd like to start by asking a question. Uh, in what ways do you find yourself reflecting some of your parents' flaws. Uh, I remember as a kid, uh, my dad, you know, anytime I go to ask him a question about something, uh, like, you know, where is Italy? Uh, it was never just like a one-word answer of like, it's in Europe, or look on a map. No, I'd get like an hour-long explanation of like the history of Italy and its culture and the food and that TV show he watched where the characters went to Italy one time. Right? And it was really frustrating because I just wanted like a simple answer. Uh, and yet, as I, as I get older, uh, my wife often jokes that I tend to go into podcast mode when she asks me a question. You know, it's never just like a simple answer. I got to give her the whole background, everything I know about the topic. Uh, we see we tend to carry on <laughs> these things that we've inherited from our parents, uh, even though we try to fight against them. Or for those of you who are uh, parents, how do you see some of your flaws maybe reflected in your children? You know, there's a sense in which we wish that our children would be like better versions of ourselves. You know, it's like they're like us, but better in every way because, you know, we've, we've raised them with all these opportunities and privileges. And yet, so often we see our own flaws uh, carried on in our own children. That we're all inheritors of something. Uh, we're inheritors from our parents and we're passing it on to our children. And Paul in this passage is calling the Roman church to reckon with the fact that they too are inheritors, that there is something in them. There's a, there's a DNA in them that they cannot escape, that they cannot avoid. And that if they're truly to understand what Jesus Christ has done for them, they have to reckon with this inheritance. And so the key truth I want us to think about today is that only the grace of God in Christ alone can save us from our, inherit, our sin inherited from Adam. You know, if we pause for a moment uh, and we're honest, it's not like we sit around reflecting on our inheritance from Adam and Eve. <laughs> uh, yes, you know, we talk about sin and Jesus has saved us from our sins, but really thinking about like what are the implications of Adam's sin in the garden and what that did to the world and how that affects us here and now. It's maybe something that is far from our thoughts. 
And yet Paul wants to draw our attention to it. He wants the Roman church to see this because he says we can't truly reckon with what Jesus has done before we own uh, this sinful legacy, right? What Adam's disobedience has done to us. So we're gonna look at this uh, in two points. We're gonna compare the two. First is our abundance of sin inherited from Adam. Looking again at verse 12, Paul says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Right, Paul is trying to highlight uh, the importance of sin, not just our own individual sins, but how we are carrying on in a legacy of sin, not just from our parents or their parents, but going all the way back to Adam in the garden. Right, that Adam's sin was so serious because he was our representative before God. Right, Adam represented all of us, and when he sinned, it affected all of us. And his sin was not just you know, disobedience to God, but it brought about ultimately death. That there is sin and there is death in the world and we can trace it all the way back to the very beginning. And you know, we live in a time in which uh, we question you know, the historicity of Adam. Was Adam even a real person or was this just a nice mythology from the Bible? And yet Paul here, he sees Adam as a real person. Right? He is testifying to the truth that Adam was a real human being. Right, who really did disobey God, and it has carried on throughout the human race. And not just his sin, but ultimately death. That in so many ways, the Bible is just telling the same story over and over again. Adam disobeys and sins, and it leads him to death. And his children, Cain and Abel, right, they carry on in the sin, and Cain brings about further death. And Cain dies, and, and Seth and his children, and they carry on. And ultimately, it says in the book of Genesis, they died, and they died, and they died. Death continues on. And there's this question of, God, where are you, and how can we get back to life? How can we get back to the life in the garden before there was sin, when Adam walked with God? And yet we are walking in that sin and walking in that death. Paul wants to highlight that death is not just this natural part of life. Right, as so many Disney movies try to tell us. It's not part of the normal life cycle. No, death is a result of sin. Right? And it's this, it's this horror that we live with every day that we can't escape. And have you ever had a problem so big that you just tried to like avoid thinking about it at all cost? You know, uh, talking about sin, it's easy to use the term like debt. We owe this great debt. You know, a number one stressor usually on any poll is financial problems, right? Especially going into debt, trying to pay off debt, talking about debt. It's this extremely stressful thing. And so many times, right, we just want to like ignore the problem because it, it can be so stressful. It seems like we can never escape it, right? In the same way, Paul is saying, look, there's this sin and there's death going all the way back to Adam that we cannot escape, though we may try to. That kind of the two uh, main ways we tend to respond to Adam's sin and our own sin is often to either try to ignore it altogether or, right, give in to despair. When we look at the, the weight of sin, the massive dunghill pile of Adam's sin that has been following us around, right, it's overwhelming. How can we, how can we do something about this? How can we overcome it? It leads to hopelessness. And when we look at the long legacy of sin in our world, 
wars and slavery, let alone our own <laughs> tendency to sin and our own struggles with temptations, right? It can cause us to be ashamed, ashamed of our legacy, ashamed of the family that we're a part of, the family of Adam, right? This abundance of sin that we've inherited that we cannot overcome, this debt we cannot pay off or escape. We're ultimately stuck. Why is Paul highlighting this so much? Remember, he's writing this letter to the church in Rome, and the church in Rome is made up of of, uh, Christian Jews and Christian Gentiles, and often they were butting heads with one another. We've seen multiple times already in Romans. Paul is calling them both to the mat to recognize uh, that, okay, if you want like equality before God, you gotta recognize that we are first equal in our sin, going all the way back to Adam. And for the Jews in particular, this, this was a hard pill to swallow, right? For those Gentiles, okay, their sin was pretty obvious, but the Jews are like, we have the law, you know? We've been trying to obey the law our whole lives. How are we just as sinful as those people? And the Jews trace their heritage back to Abraham, right? The father of faith. And yet Paul is calling them saying, no, no, look, uh, you have an inheritance even before Abraham. (laughs) Abraham was messy enough, but let's go all the way back to Adam. Think about uh, how hard that might have been for uh, a Christian Jew to to swallow, right? He might have had some prejudices against Gentiles that they were actually from the same family, (laughs) that deep down their, their DNA, their heritage is the same. Right? Deep down that the, the father of all people is the same in Adam. How decentering that might have been to, to try to understand. And yet Paul right, wants us to recognize that, hey, if we're unified in one thing, it is that inherited sin. Unless we think that uh, you know, we don't contribute, maybe it's just all Adam's fault. You know, okay, yeah, we can blame it on him. Uh, Paul calls us at the very end of verse 12, right? Death spread to all men because all sinned, right? That you have contributed just as much to the inheritance of sin as Adam, right? Adam was the first one to bring it in, but trust me, you've got plenty of sin on your own that has furthered this in the world. We see that the Bible is all about trying to call us to recognize that there is this sin problem that cannot be overcome. I think of uh, Isaiah chapter 6. You know, Isaiah has the vision of the Lord who's holy, holy, holy. And he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. He owns his own sin. But he also says, I'm from a people of unclean lips. I'm in a culture and a society of sin and uncleanliness that I cannot overcome apart from God doing something. Or David in Psalm 51 saying, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Say, man, even before I could crawl or walk or cry, I was already in sin. I have a friend who, uh, you know, his son, I think, is maybe like one and a half now. But when his son was born, we were talking, you know, doing all the normal. Oh, how's your baby? So cute, blah, blah, blah. How are you sleeping? Uh, and he was like, yeah, it's, it's just been this really awesome time uh, to reflect on, you know, like the goodness of God and this child. But also I look at my son and I realized he's a sinner, you know, and you're like, he's a baby. <laughs> like, no, but he's right. He's absolutely right. That baby is, is inheriting sin from Adam just as much as any adult. Uh, this isn't in the slide or in your bulletin, but Martin Luther, 
uh, commenting on this passage pretty much says, Paul is trying to highlight that your sin is as inescapable as your own birth. Just as you have no control over whether you are born or not, you have very little control, uh, you have no control over the inheritance of Adam's sin in your life. You know, for an individualist culture like our own, that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. That there is someone else's sin that I am responsible for before the Lord. John Frame, in his systematic theology, says this so well by saying, if we object to God's condemning us in Adam, we should equally object to his justifying us in Christ. In Romans 5 and in 1 Corinthians 15, these two relationships are parallel. We should then reject Christ's sacrifice and accept the task of trying to save ourselves as individuals. But that task is doomed from the start. Scripture gives us no hope that we can save ourselves. We cannot atone for our past sins, nor can we force ourselves to stop sinning apart from divine grace. So let me ask you the question, where are you living in the deadly, sinful lineage of Adam as opposed to the newness of life in Christ? You know, we have uh, normalized sin so much. We've normalized our inheritance from Adam that it's hard for us to to see the world in any other way. And our world and our culture contribute to this where sin is not sin, it's not disobedience. No, actually, it's just, it's just you living your life to your fullest and trying to be happy. Right? That sin is not uh, disobedience to God. It's not deserving of condemnation or judgment. When we see the pile of sin in the world, when we see our own, we can so easily grow depressed, despondent, ultimately ashamed of all that is going on, the brokenness that we cannot overcome. And yet, Paul reminds us in this letter to the Romans, right, that though our sins are worthy of shame, that though it does look hopeless, back in Romans 1.16, he says, I'm not ashamed of one thing, and that's the gospel, right? I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power to save all people, first for the Jew and then for the Greek, Paul is saying, yes, sin is shameful. Yes, we have a legacy of shameful sin in our lives. We have a broken family history. But the good news of Jesus is that that is not the end of the story. That Jesus is inviting us, he's calling us, he's adopting us into his family, into a new family, into a new lineage. One that is not made up of sin and brokenness and shame, but one that is made up of his righteousness and the mercy of God, and the love of God, and an abundance of grace. That we have been adopted by grace through faith in Christ into this new family, into this new inheritance. And it's a very, very rich inheritance in Christ. And so let me ask, what, which family are you a part of? <laughs> are you a part of the family of Adam or the family of Christ? Let's look at our abundance of grace in Christ, my second point. Right, we see that Christ calls us into a new and better lineage. Right? And that while in Adam, our lineage was you know, trying to build the Tower of Babel to get up to God and ultimately failing at that, in Christ, we see that God himself comes down to be among us. People who have inherited Adam's sin and contribute pl- plenty of sin on our own. That Jesus came down to be in the muck and the mess of that to say, hey, you are the people 
I want to redeem. You are the people I want to adopt and call into a new family. That this is the good news of the gospel. And it's not just good news because we get Christ's righteousness, but we also see that he more or less adopts himself into the line of Adam to take on our sinfulness and our judgment. Right? That Christ takes our place. The great exchange of our sin and Adam and our own exchange for Christ's righteousness and obedience and new life. Whereas we rightly deserve death, we are now being given life out of God's amazing grace. Uh, anyone, you know, a Dave Ramsey fan here? Anyone? Dave Ramsey, he's all about like saving money, paying off debt. Yeah, it's good. Like save money, pay off debt. Yes. Dave Ramsey's big thing is if you're in debt, right, then stop spending. Like start, you know, saving money, paying off debt and don't eat out, don't have fun ever, just pay off debt. And then as soon as you're out, you know, don't splurge on McDonald's, right? Uh, and as soon as you're out of debt, you can then splurge. Um, well, look, in Christ, we are no longer in debt, right? Y'all, we got eating out money. And not just like McDonald's eating out money. I'm talking about like fancy French restaurant eating out money. Like the riches of Christ are now available to us. This is our new inheritance. We are working out of an abundance. And I love the way that John Calvin says it. No one could say it better, right? Having before referred to the state of things before the law in the two remaining verses, he refers to the bearing of the law on his subject and shows that there is in Christ an abundant provision for the increase of sin occasioned by the law. So abundant is grace that it is fully sufficient to remove original sin, actual sins, the fruit of sins, and the sins discovered by the law and by its means increased and enhanced. Hence, superabundance is ascribed to it. Everyone say superabundance. That's the good news of Jesus, that the grace available to us is not this limited thing, right? We're not working out of debt. We're not working out of uh, a minimum of grace. No, we've been given a superabundance of grace in Christ Jesus, that that is our new family legacy. And we carry that with us in every interaction we have, right? That Christ is giving us the hope of this new family, of a new history, and ultimately a wholly new world that he will renew. The superabundance of Christ is sufficient to cover over the shame of our sin, a broken family legacy, the horrors of sin we've seen in our own life. The superabundance of grace in Christ is enough for all of it. All right, so we always have to ask the question, right, so what? All right, so what? How does this superabundance of grace in Christ affect us in the here and now? Well, let me ask you these two questions. How does Christ's abundant grace help us in seeking reconciliation with one another? And how does Christ's abundant grace give you the hope that a broken family inheritance is not the end of the story? Looking at that first one, how does Christ's abundant grace help us in seeking reconciliation you know, we've spent so much time in the family of Adam. We've normalized sin, right? That when it comes to, you know, someone offending us, someone maybe even hurting us, we come at it with such a, you know, a minimalist mentality of a lack of mentality, a debtor's mentality that, you know, if I give forgiveness, if I show grace, right, then I might not have enough grace left. But if I forgive this person, ooh, they might take advantage of me and I got to hold on to all the grace I have. Instead, the superabundant grace of Jesus should transform our perspective on these things. 
that we are not forgiving out of our own ability to forgive, but out of Christ's forgiveness for us, out of his abundance. That we don't give just the amount of grace that we can summon in any one moment, but that we have the grace of the God of heaven, whose blessings are infinite, whose riches are infinite, to bring towards any situation. That this should give us hope that we should never give up on someone. <laughs> we should always try to be reconciled. You know, let's be honest, in today's world, reconciliation is looked at with skepticism. It says, yeah, it's a great idea. We love it. We love it when people get along. But the idea that someone could truly forgive someone else for sinning against them and hurting them. Ooh, y'all, I work with middle schoolers and uh, yeah, getting them to realize, like, you should forgive. They're like, no, man, he did me wrong. I'm going to get him right back in the same amount, maybe even worse. Right? Oh, it's such a hard thing to realize because we have normalized the sin of Adam and our own sin. And yet the grace of God is changing our perspective on this, that we out of our abundance can forgive and forgive abundantly. As Jesus told Peter, it's not just seven times you forgive, but 77 times seven, right? An in incalculable amount of forgiveness is what we are called to. And how about our families, right? You might've been thinking about your family story as we were talking about the family of Adam and the family of Christ. Many of us come from a broken family inheritance. Some of it's literally financial. Uh, you are still working off, you know, what uh, generations before you have done. Some of it is a different kind of brokenness. I'm sure there are so many different versions of that story here in this room. And yet the superabundant grace of Christ is to show us that we should not give up hope that any family situation can be healed that that lost sheep in your family can be called back, right? that we should never give up praying for the lost, seeking to be reconciled with the lost. You know, uh, I was thinking about not a family situation, but a, a coworker situation, not here at the church, but at my other job, just to clarify. Someone was very helpful in the first service, said, you should probably clarify. Yeah, no, we all get along great. Um, but yeah, my other job, and, uh, you know, it wasn't anything like super serious, but just I found myself when I thought about this coworker, you know, just frustrated and holding on to a lot of bitterness and resentment. And as I was praying through this passage, preparing for this message, you know, it really hit me like, I'm holding on to, to the way, you know, the deadly lineage of Adam would have dealt with this. I'm holding on to bitterness. And I'm thinking there isn't enough grace to show towards this person. I got to, you know, protect myself. And all the self-righteous justification of why that's, you know, good and godly, which was really all just garbage in my own pride. And this passage really spoke to me of, man, I have been given so much grace and I have been forgiven so much that I really need to pray for that person and also pray for myself that I would show an abundance of grace to them, right? That I am not working out of a place of lack or debt, but I'm a working out of a place of abundance in Christ, Brothers and sisters, the line of Christ has given us this abundance, an abundance of new life. And we see that at work now through the Holy Spirit with us, and we will see it so much more when Christ returns to make all things new. So Romans 5, 12 through 14 teaches us that we are inheritors of Adam's sin and deserving of death apart from the grace of God. It also teaches us that Christ's abundant grace is sufficient 
to call us into a new family history. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, um, when we look at the sin in the world that can goes all the way back thousands of years to Adam, but when we look at our own sin and our own easily tempted hearts, when we look at our families, we are so easily uh, hopeless and given to despair. We would rather ignore it than face it. But Lord, you call us both to recognize the truth of our past and our sin, but to also see that that is not our future. In Christ Jesus, grace has come into the world. We have been forgiven. Thank you, Jesus, that you took our sin and shown us an abundance of life, given us new life. Lord, we pray that we would be a people that would be quick to reconcile, quick to go towards hope, quick to pray for one another out of the superabundance of Christ. We pray all this in your name. Amen.